Welcome, friends. You are listening to the podcast for First Christian Church in Fort Myers, Florida. To learn more, join us online at fccfm.org. It is a blessing to be able to share God's Word with you today. Thanks for joining us. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 23 says this. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God, I praise you for who you are and for all that you have done for us. I pray that we will remember the gifts you have given us through Jesus, that we would receive them, we would celebrate them, we would enjoy them, and that we would pass them along to others, that daily we may live in the spirit of Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. For Christmas several years ago, Janice and I bought our kids the best fun gifts ever. Now, whenever you talk about the best gifts ever, you have to qualify the definition of best. I mean, best for what? Best for fun, best for play, best for memories, best for experiences, best for dress, best for usefulness. But we bought our kids the best fun for play gifts ever. We bought each of our four children a battle drone. Now, if you don't know, drones are radio-controlled flying machines that have four rotors, and they glide around like little flying saucers. And these particular drones we purchased, they did all kinds of acrobatic trips like flips in the air and somersaults, and they actually had these lasers that you could shoot each other down with. And, And if one drone shot down another drone, it would do a flip in the air, and then it would fall to the ground. They aren't easy to pilot, however. But when we bought them, the salesman said, he said, hey, if you guys play video games, which I don't because I'm an adult. He said, if you play video games, uh, you can learn to fly these drones. And he was right. I could not fly them at all. But within a few days, my kids... They were zipping them up and down the hallways and up and down the staircase and around the living room and down into the basement and back out of the basement. And they were performing these tricks and they were shooting each other down. And it was really fun. The kids loved playing them and we loved watching them. And and we couldn't wait for the spring when we could take them outside and see what they could really do. And with all the tricks they could perform in our living room, what could they do out in the wide open spaces? Now, remember, we lived in Chicagoland, so you could not play outside with them until the spring and summer when the weather was good. And and so we couldn't wait until spring to see what these battle drones could do outside. But you know what? We never found out what they could do outside. 
You know why? No, not because the kids broke them, they still work. But because by the time winter rolled into the spring, my kids had moved on from these exciting, entertaining, kind of expensive, really cool Christmas gifts that we had bought them, that we were so excited about, that they were so excited about, they had moved on. Somehow, they got bored with them. We ended up putting them in the cabinet and forgetting about them almost altogether. It was kind of sad. If you're a parent, I wonder if you've ever been in that role. You've been there, right? Or maybe you remember when you were a kid and and you anticipated this incredible gift that you wanted and, and you finally got it and it was so much fun and then all of a sudden that excitement wore off and you were like, man, two weeks ago that was so much fun. What happened? And if you're a parent, when you see your kids have those experiences, it really makes you reevaluate your Christmas spending. Now, the cool thing about those drones is they make great white elephant gifts. You know, most people think white elephant gifts, gifts are gag gifts or themed gifts or novelty items, but they're not. They're actually re-gifts. A white elephant is a re-gift. And our drones became white elephant gifts. We gave those drones away the next Christmas to a family in our church so that their kids could enjoy them since our kids had stopped enjoying them and started taking them for granted. You know, the white elephant idea comes from Asia. In ancient days, Asian nobles would give and receive actual elephants, actual white elephants as symbols of peace and prosperity. But because these elephants, they were so valuable, these rare elephants, they were never actually worked. And other elephants that had been domesticated were worked as beasts of burdens. They would help out with all kinds of of tasks. But white elephants, which, which had real potential and real value, they just took up space and ate a lot of food, were basically unused. And so what would happen is is one noble would receive a white elephant as a gift of honor and then it would just stand in a stall and it would eat all the food and the noble would think, this is expensive. What in the world are we doing here? What am I gonna do with this elephant? I know, I'll just give it away to another noble as a gift. And white elephants would get passed along from noble to noble as gifts of value and wonder, but they'd never actually get used for their intended purpose as a beast of burden but they were fun to pass around as gifts. And that is where we get the whole idea of a white elephant party. At a white elephant party, we bring gifts that we've forgotten or no longer use, and we pass them along to other people. White elephants are underused, underappreciated gifts. Let me say that again. White elephants are underused, underappreciated gifts gifts. And it's pretty easy around Christmas time to draw a line of comparison between white elephant gifts and some of the gifts God gives us through Jesus. And one of those gifts that we so often forget or underappreciate or take for granted is the gift of the incarnation. 
And so that's what we wanna talk about today as we head into Christmas this week. We wanna talk about the gift of the incarnation. And I'm using this white elephant analogy to describe the incarnation because it's a gift that, we, that, that sometimes we forget about or we underappreciate or perhaps we don't even think about during the Christmas season. I mean, maybe that's why some people think we need a reminder that Jesus is the reason for the season because we get so busy with other Christmas activities that we forget the reason for Christmas in the first place, which is to celebrate the birth of Christ. But I'm also using the white elephant analogy to describe the incarnation because let's be honest, it's a gift we're not supposed to keep to ourselves. We're supposed to re-gift it to others. Jesus is a gift that we're supposed to re-gift. We're supposed to enjoy him and appreciate him and embrace him and celebrate him ourselves, but we're also supposed to pass him along to others as well, enthusiastically sharing our faith. So what is the incarnation? You know, our Catholic friends, they, they use the term more than we do, but it's one we should all use because it's fundamental to Christian theology. So what is it? We actually just sang about it. I don't know if you noticed. We just sang about it in the famous Christmas carol, Hark the Herald, Angels Sing, Glory to the Newborn King. And, and there's a verse in there that says this. It says, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate, incarnation, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel. Maybe we hear or sing about the incarnation at Christmas, but what is it? If you're taking notes, perhaps you would write this down. The incarnation is the reality that God became one of us. As the baby of Bethlehem, as the son of Mary, as Jesus of Nazareth, God became one of us. You know, so often we think about God being up there, out there, far away, peering down at us humans, ready to, to pounce when we screw up, shaking his head with cosmic disapproval, but that's not the God we discover through Jesus. In his book, Generational IQ, author Hayden Shaw talks a lot about how authentic Christianity has been hacked by an Americanized imposter Christianity that's marked by the philosophy of do good, feel good, because God is watching. Do good, feel good, because God is watching is not authentic Christianity. But that is a rut we often fall into, right? We come to church to do good and to learn how to do good and to have more opportunities to do good. But we also come to church because it, it makes us feel good. It inspires us. It encourages us. We learn lots of life lessons that if we follow them, we'll feel better about ourselves. And, and, and then if we go through seasons where we don't feel better about ourselves when we go to church, we just find another church to go to. And oh, by the way, God is watching and so we ought to do good and we ought to go to church too because God is up there, he's out there, he's far away, he's ready to pounce whenever we go astray. That's not Christianity. Authentic Christianity is not God up there, but God down here. 
Authentic Christianity is not God far away, it's God who is near. Authentic Christianity is not God disapproving, it's God loving. Authentic Christianity is not God crossing his arms from a distance and saying, let's see how badly you screw this thing up called life that I gave you, but instead, let me become one of you to reveal myself to you, to have a relationship with you. That's incarnation. And that's the gift we're talking about today. Hundreds of years before Jesus was born, a Jewish holy man named Isaiah penned the prophetic scripture that has become such a memorable Christmas text for us today. It's Isaiah chapter seven, verse 14. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And the word Emmanuel means God with us. The miracle and the mystery that we celebrate at Christmas is the creator of the universe became one of us. He didn't say to have a relationship with me, you have to come up here. But instead he said, I will come down there. C.S. Lewis so famously said it like this. He said, the son of God became a man so that men could become the sons of God. God didn't leave us on our own to find our own way back to him. Instead, he came to us to show us the way. And that's our big idea for today. In Jesus, God came to be with us, to be one of us, to reveal himself to us that we might have a relationship with him. That is the gift of the incarnation. Christmas is the celebration of the reality that God came to be with us, to be one of us, to reveal himself to us so that we could have a relationship with him. That is the good news of the gospel. The creator of the cosmos came to be with us, to be one of us, to reveal himself to us so that we could have a relationship with him. That's why we come to church. That's why we're part of a church, not to do good, and feel good, but to come together and be in relationship with God who through Jesus came to be with us, came to be one of us, came to reveal himself to us. That's why we do this. That's what all of this is about. That's what church is about. It's what Christmas is all about. God revealing himself to us in Jesus so that he, the master of the universe, could have a relationship with us. Through Jesus, God has restored humanity's relationship with him. So what does that mean? As we just dig into this idea of incarnation, what does that mean to us, this idea of Emmanuel? What does it reveal to us about God? Well, today I wanna share four truths about God revealed to us through the incarnation. And here's the first truth. Through the incarnation, we discover God in the flesh. Colossians chapter one, verse 15, it says, the son is the image of the invisible God. Colossians 1.19 says that God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus. Have you ever wondered, what does God look like 
you need to look no further than Jesus. Jesus looks like God and God looks like Jesus. Jesus reveals God to us. His love, his purity, his perfection, his mercy, his grace, his truth, his justice. Somehow, in some miraculous and mysterious way, Jesus was God in the flesh. The man Jesus was fully God and in Jesus, God became fully human. And this reality is totally and completely unique among all world religions and philosophies. God in the flesh is revealed to us through the incarnation. Number two, through the incarnation, we discover that God is personal. God is personal. He's not some cosmic force. Sorry, Star Wars fans. God is not a universal energy source. The universe is not God and God is not the universe. God is the creator and ruler of the universe, but he is not the universe. He is not impersonal. He is a person. There was a, a television show I started watching several years ago. It got canceled pretty quickly, but it was called, maybe you saw a couple episodes, it was called Kevin Probably Saves the World. And after watching the pilot episode, I thought to myself, man, this show has real potential. The pilot talked a lot about God and who God might be and how God might work and God says this and God does that. And it wasn't a Christian show, but after watching the pilot episode, I thought, man, it's got, it's got a lot of potential. But you know what happens after they make pilot episodes, right? Producers and directors and writers, they start messing with it. And between shooting the pilot episode and the next few episodes, they changed all the language from God to the universe, and all of a sudden it was the universe says this and the universe does that. Have you ever heard somebody refer to God as the universe? It's not. It's a creation of God. The universe is not a person. Can't talk, doesn't have feelings, doesn't have plans or dreams because it's not personal. The universe is not a person. God is and God didn't reveal himself to us through some force or through some universal energy source, but through a person named Jesus, because God is personal. And through the incarnation, we discover God is a person, not a thing. Number three, through the incarnation, we discover that God understands us. Without becoming a man himself, God could not possibly have understood us. How could God understand our temptations, our anxieties, our fears, our struggles without becoming one of us? He became a man in Jesus so that he could understand us. Hebrews 2.14 says, since the children, that's us. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. Hebrews chapter two, verses 17 and 18 says, for this reason, he had to be made like them, like us, fully human in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service to God, that he might make atonement for the sins of the people because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help. Some translations of scripture say he is able to sympathize with those who are being tempted. Through incarnation, God 
understands trials and temptations. Through incarnation, he understands anxiety and pain and rejection and betrayal. Through incarnation, God understands, he sympathizes with our struggles. To have a good relationship with someone, you have to get each other, right? You have to find some common ground. My best friend is my best friend because he's one of the people who gets me. Your best friend probably gets you too. Because of the incarnation, God gets us so that he might get us for all eternity. And number four, through the incarnation, we discover, ultimately we discover that God fully forgives us. God doesn't partially forgive us. God doesn't halfway forgive us. God fully forgives our sins. Forgiveness, it's not on us. It's not on our goodness. It's not on what we do. Forgiveness is all on him. He does it. Now, because we receive it, we do it too. Because he forgives us, we forgive others. We forgive those who hurt us. But the forgiveness of sins that sets us free for all eternity The forgiveness of sins is ultimately God's work and he does it fully and completely. Look again at that passage, Hebrews 2.17, it says, the son was made fully human. Why? So that he might make atonement for sins. Atonement is when the penalty for wrongdoing is fully paid. And the beauty of Christianity is the idea that God, through Jesus, takes that penalty. He pays that penalty that our sins deserve so that we can be forgiven, not condemned. I read a news headline. It was several years ago, but a a, a true story. There was a young woman who stole three rings that were worth about $5,000. And after she stole those rings, she felt so bad about doing that that she went to the, the family, to the couple she stole them from. She returned the rings. She apologized. She said she was sorry. However, despite her confession, the victims called the police and pressed charges. And her case went to court where she freely confessed what she had done. And and the jury found her guilty. She was guilty and she was ordered to pay a fine, a just response to her crime. And the jury that found her guilty took a collection among themselves and they paid her fine. That's atonement. The jury atoned for her crime. They found her guilty, but they also paid her penalty. She was fully guilty and yet fully forgiven. They acted with justice and grace simultaneously. And that's what God does for us through Jesus. The end game of the incarnation was God becoming a man, experiencing life as a human, showing us the fullness of God and making a way for our sins to be forgiven so that we could be restored to us. You see, the incarnation led to the crucifixion, which led to the resurrection, which leads to our salvation. And God didn't partially do that. He didn't halfway do that. He fully did that through 
Jesus. And so you see, sometimes we hear incarnation and we forget how earth shattering, how life altering, how time splitting, how truly incredible it is, this gift that God became a man first as a baby to become like us in every way, to reveal himself to us, to restore us to him. This is Christmas. And this brings us to our takeaway for today. This Christmas, don't treat the incarnation like a white elephant and that you underappreciate it or even forget about it, but do treat it like a white elephant in that you re-gift it and give it away. And one simple way to give Jesus away this Christmas is to share your faith with a friend or a family member today. In fact, that's what I'm asking you to do today. Enthusiastically share your faith. Let's pray. God, I praise you for who you are, for all that you've done for us. I pray that we would remember the many gifts that you have given us through Jesus, that we would receive them and celebrate them and enjoy them and pass them along to others. That every day of the year we could live in the spirit of Christmas. In Jesus' name. pray this message has been a blessing to you. If we can pray for you or encourage you in any capacity, please let us know at FCCFM.org.